look at one thing you can count on. One thing you can count on. Uh, you know, there aren't many things in this world you can actually count on. Um, the stock markets, they have their ups and downs. Uh, the economy, well, it goes up and down as well. And, of course, prospects for peace in the world are about as distant as they've ever been. Uh, preachers, and churches, and ministries continually uh, straying away from the Lord and causing confusion and doubt. And so, in fact, if you live your li uh, life of faith uh, and have put your faith in men, uh, ministries, or money, uh, then you're going to live a very disappointing and discouraging life. And yet, even in the midst of all the doubts and all the confusion, uh, and it's certainly a lot of it in our world today, there are still some things you can believe in. And I hold one of those things in my hand today. One thing you can always count. Uh, the Bible, the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of the living God. Uh, the book is pure and it's worthy of our faith and acceptance. Every word in this Bible is inspired by the Lord uh, and will endure forever. Uh, Psalm 119 and verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Matthew 24, 35, Math, uh, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Every word in this book will come to pass just as it's written. And this includes every promise of God. Every promise God gave in his word is worthy to be believed. It will come to pass. He says in Hebrews 6 and verse 18, that, two, uh, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled our, uh, for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Uh, just think about that for a moment. Think about what that means. Uh, when he promised to save you, uh, if, he called, if you called upon him, as it tells us in Romans 10, 13, uh, he meant that. He said he will save you. Uh, when he promised to be with you, Hebrews 13 and verse 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, uh, he meant that. When he promised to take care of you as you pass through this world, Philippians 4, 19, but my God shall supply all your need. He meant that. And so Peter is about to tell us when the Lord promised to come back, he meant that too. He is coming again. Take, for instance, the last recorded promise in the Bible from the lips of the Lord Jesus. Revelation 22.20 20 says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I, will, I come quickly. Amen. Uh, even so, come Lord Jesus. Uh, in uh, that verse, Jesus makes it very, very clear, crystal clear, that he's going to return to this world. Uh, I think there are many people who refuse to accept that, uh, but it doesn't change the fact that he is coming. Uh, Jesus said he was coming again, and he is. And that's one of the subject matters of, of Peter here in uh, chapter 3. Now, as we begin in chapter 3, we notice, first of all, the assurance of the Scriptures. Verse 1 says, This 
Second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So Peter is speaking here of the word of God in verse 2, and he calls it to witness to this great truth. Uh, Peter says his ministry to these Christians in Asia Minor, his ministry was to stir them up. We've talked about that before uh, in uh, these letters uh, from Peter. Stir up their pure minds by way of remembrance. He's reminding them, reminding them of the truth they already know. Stirring up their pure minds about the things of God. Now, imagine the apostle, maybe, uh, you know, like uh, this is a good day for a good bowl of chili, right? Maybe the, uh, the apostle has got a, a big bowl of chili on the stove. And he's going to stir that up. And uh, uh, he's uh, trying to get to the bottom. That's where all the good stuff is, right? the meat, the chunks of meat and everything. It's all down at the bottom. So he's trying to get that stirred up. And uh, he's trying to stir up the truths of God's word in the minds of those who are reading this. And in the same way, he is for the second time now writing to stir up the believer's minds to remember truth that they'd already been exposed to. These people were living in a corrupt society. Uh, they had just abandoned corrupt mystery uh, religions, and now they were to contend with the corrupt teachers. Now, in chapter 2, we spent a lot of time talking about false prophets, false teachers, and, and so uh, they're contending with that. Uh, these false teachers were uh, teaching them destructive heresies, and they were mocking uh, the the, the word of God. They were mocking the truth of God's word. They were mocking that there would be no second coming. And so Peter's response to all this is to remind them that the word spoken by God about such people. And this is why he says that it, he, ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, uh, we, we saw there in uh, uh, verse uh, 21, well, it's actually 16 through 21, he, he talked about this. And uh, he said there, knowing uh, first in verse 20, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so... The word of the second coming uh, did not come, did not emanate from some group who sat around and said, well, you know, we need to come up with an incredible story. What Isaiah and Joel and Ezekiel and Daniel had to say about the first coming and the second comings of Jesus was not a matter of human wisdom. It's not just something uh, come by logical deduction it wasn't just some clever, uh, cleverly devised tale, but it was a revelation from God. When men were moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. So the revelation 
is above and beyond the minds and the experiences of believers and unbelievers alike. You know, revelation by the Holy Spirit is that process by which God has made himself known to man. When he personally broke into time and space. Think about it. For example, the time that uh, God spoke to Moses uh, at the burning bush. Uh, the manifestation of the angel of the Lord. And the angels and so forth. We're going to uh, see this in Daniel on Sunday afternoon, the angel Gabriel is going to come to Daniel and, and explain the vision, the, uh, the dream that he had been having. Of course, his explanation would be uh, to us now history, a lot of history that's been uh, taken place, but to Daniel it was all prophecy, that which was to come. And uh, part of the content of this revelation was uh, his word through his prophets concerning Christ's second coming. So that's one of the things he's going to uh, really zero in on here. But notice, first of all, some reasons why Peter's reminding his readers uh, concerning the word of God. Well, the Bible is a perfect book. The Bible is a perfect book. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's absolutely perfect. It's the perfect revelation of God's will for mankind. You can count on the Word of God. And you can't count on anything else in the world. You can count on God's Word. So, therefore, when something is written, you can consider it settled, as we saw there already in Psalm 119.89. Secondly, the Bible is a prophetic book. Uh, throughout the Bible, there are prophecies presented and fulfilled over and over and over again. In fact, there are over 300 prophecies in connection with the first advent of Jesus. And all 300 plus prophecies have literally been fulfilled. Example, his virgin birth, his birth in Bethlehem, his humiliation and his death, his resurrection, uh, the Bible is a book of prophetic content. And the New Testament speaks of many different matters as well. You know, we all know how important the notion of the new birth is, being born again. But did you know that the new birth is only mentioned nine times in the New Testament? Now, we have various other kinds of things, but in that sense, the new birth, only nine times. Of course, as Baptists, we're, we're big on baptism. That's only mentioned 20 times. Uh, even the great doctrine of repentance. And we can't do without that, but it's spoken of 70 times. And yet in the 27 books of the New Testament, uh, which are divided into four categories, you have the historical, you have the Pauline epistles, you have the general epistles, and then you have the prophetic, that is the book of Revelation, there are 380 references to the second coming of Jesus Christ. 380. Now, I get the impression that that's an important doctrine. I know that, you know, when the Lord says something once, that's enough. But when he repeats it 380 times, I'm thinking, you know, we've got to get a hold of that doctrine. 
He devotes one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament to the second coming. The Bible is a prophetic book. And then thirdly, the Bible is a preserved book. Every word in this book will literally come to pass. God will see to it that none of his words fall to the ground. Isaiah 55, 11. He's going to see that it gets the job done. Matthew 5, 18, he said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle in no wise pass from this law, from the law till it be fulfilled. 1 Peter 1.25, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Uh, Romans 4.21, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Even the parts about the second coming. Now, if you dare to declare that you believe in the Bible, that the Bible is inspired inherent and infallible, then you better be prepared to be ridiculed. I haven't heard someone say today, be ready to have this book canceled. Canceled from our society. And perhaps even one of the great book burnings of history could take place. You know, if they're, if they're canceling Mr. Potato Head, I mean, anybody still have one of those? I, know, they probably, I think we had one once. I, uh, actually, we used real potatoes back in my day. If they're canceling Pepe Le Pew, they're canceling all kinds of things that, you know, uh, most people don't even worry about or concern themselves about. But the Bible could be the the next thing on the horizon, the way people are thinking these days. See, people think that we're old-fashioned. Uh, we're just fundamental Bible-believing Baptists, and we're crazy. Uh, they kind of smile at us and say, well, you'll be all right. One day you'll be enlightened like the rest of us. Others believe that we present a dangerous element, you know, they're going to cancel something they haven't even read. They don't know what the Bible says. And something would be, uh, some would like nothing better for all Bible believers to be locked up. And so uh, we might be a nut, but at least I am screwed on to the right bolt. The assurance of the scriptures. Secondly, the ignorance of the scoffers. As the saying goes, the only constant in life is change. And you would think people would know better than to risk their eternal future on the assumption that nothing is going to change. But that's exactly what doubters and skeptics have been doing since the earliest days of Christianity. Scoffers choose to forget, to ignore the fact that the, uh, God has kept his word in history. He'll do it again. God has judged the world. The flood of Noah and uh, the world is scheduled for judgment again. So notice here the doubt. In verse 4, it says, And saying, Where is the promise of his coming? 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They deny the reality of Christ's coming. On what do they base their reasoning? Well, on the fact that nothing seems to change. You know, we haven't seen anything uh, yet. He hasn't come yet. It's been thousands of years since he came the first time. You know, and things don't change. I mean, spring follows winter. Amen? Summer follows spring and fall. And it just keeps on going, the cycles. All things continue. They have for ages. Nothing has changed since the beginning. And so uh, the threat of the end of the world must not be true. And their theories fall into two areas. One, they fail to remember that God already judged and destroyed the world, Genesis 6 and 7. And by the way, people in that day refused to believe the judgment that was coming as well. But they also failed to realize that God is not bound by time, as you and I are. In truth, Jesus has only been gone a couple of days. Thousand year, a day is a, like a thousand years for the Lord, so he's only gone two days. Well, there's a lot of doubt. With that doubt comes the denial. In verse 5, it says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. These scoffers base their doubt on their denial of God's revealed truth. It begins with something very basic, creation. Man has denied creation uh, when it's, uh, it's testified by in the scriptures. It's easy to deny everything else God says. The first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, you know, if th those aren't true, then, well, nothing else is true. It's very important. Those first chapters of Genesis are a foundation for the Bible and the truths of God's Word. Again, according to verse 6 here, God has already judged the world one time, whereby the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. He's talking about the flood. The flood of Noah. The fact that he's done it once should make people realize that he could end. But regardless of what the scoffers say, the world did not come about as a result of a big bang. Man and the animal kingdom did not evolve from some uh, primordial uh, mortal. Uh, it was not the offspring of some germ placed here by traveling space aliens. God made this universe and did it with his very word. Genesis 1, 11 times you find the, the phrase, and God said. That's uh, the biblical record. God created uh, the world by the word of God, and it's sustained by that same word. Uh, notice verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. This world has already been judged and destroyed by water once. The next time it's going to happen by fire. The world did not come into existence with a bang, but it's going to go out with one. 
And so God helped this foolish society which has been tricked into believing the devil's lie. Unless our children learn the truth at home and at church, uh, they will have no hope. Because if the evolutionists are right, then you might as well live for the devil. Have a big time. Live it up. Because when you die, you're just going to be like the dog. And uh, you'll just simply cease to exist. Well, I get into the next point on this outline, but it's a little long. So we'll save it for next week.